It's happening before our very eyes. Our media makes us clueless, our government will make us cashless, and we will all have to comply. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. So I ran across this news story the other day. You may have not known this, but the World Government Summit is underway this week in Abu Dhabi. And a Dr. Pippa Malgreen, who's a top American economist who served as a special advisor to to former President George W. Bush, made a statement that confirms so much of what we've been saying on this program and many others have been saying for, for quite a long time, that a cashless society is looming just around the corner. And it's going to happen sooner than you think. Listen to what she had to say. What underpins a world order is always the financial system. Mm. I I was very privileged. My father was an advisor to Nixon when they came off the gold standard in 71. And so I was brought up with a kind of inside view of how very important the financial structure is to absolutely everything else. And what we're seeing in the world today, I think, is we are on the brink of a dramatic change where we are about to, and I'll say this boldly, we're about to abandon the traditional system of money and accounting and introduce a new one. And the new one, the new accounting, is what we call blockchain. It means digital. It means having an almost perfect record of every single transaction that happens in the economy, which will give us far greater clarity over what's going on. It also raises huge dangers in terms of the balance of power between states and citizens. In my opinion, we're going to need a digital constitution of human rights if we're going to have digital money. Uh, But also, this new money will be sovereign in nature. Most people think that digital money is crypto and private, but what I see are superpowers introducing digital currency. The Chinese were the first. The U.S. is on the brink, I think, of moving in the same direction. The Europeans have committed to that as well. And the question is, will that new system of digital money and digital accounting accommodate the competing needs of the citizens of all these locations so that every human being has a chance to have a better life. Because that's the only measure of whether a world order really serves. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear words like that from somebody that has the attention of presidents and prime ministers and, and major government officials, plus the international banking community, I become deeply concerned as you should too, but don't become fearful. The Bible has predicted this for a long, long time. And when I hear the words coming out of out of her mouth, these are the words I hear echoing from Scripture. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. And that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. I'll tell you what, we're beginning to see, I think, Bible prophecy being revealed right before our very eyes. They come out and say it now. They don't even try to hide the agenda anymore. Like I say, that's Pippa Malgren, and she's a globalist, she's an elitist, Her, her dad, her father was a big advisor to Presidents Kennedy, Nixon, Johnson, uh, Gerald Ford. 
Now, she's also advised presidents and prime ministers around the world. And one of her favorite topics over the past year or two has been the upside of COVID. She's on board with the World Economic Forum. She sees COVID as a great opportunity to make big changes. So I just wanted you to hear that as we begin the program today. We'll be talking more about that in the days and weeks ahead. Now, for today, I've invited somebody I've been reading of late in Western Journal. That's an online publication that I've been reading for about a decade. His name is Mike Landry. He's written a number of stories that really have touched me, and I I was so impressed by one this past week that I reached out. We've talked on the phone several times, and we've written, and I think you need to hear from him today. He did a story recently about uh, a situation in Germany where 100 people had their homes raided by police just for insulting a politician online. That would probably put me in prison, honestly. It's happening in Germany. It's happening, I think, now in Canada. It's on its way to the United States. You're going to be doxxed, Australia, you name it. And that's why I invited him on the program today. Now, Mike Landry is a retired university business professor, a freelance writer. He's been involved with radio and television news and newspaper. He and his wife, they live in Arkansas. He's also a former church pastor. I invited him on the program today. Now, in our conversations, when we first got to know each other, we have some parallels in our life. I I had this dream of being the great radio announcer. And, and I think, um, Mike, you had a similar dream too, didn't you? Well, I was. Uh, I got my dream in junior high school, and mm-hmm. <clears throat> I was going to be the funniest morning man in some major market someplace, uh, doing a morning comedy show, which eventually would lead me into replacing Johnny Carson. Uh-huh. On the all right, all right. So, but you know, it didn't work that way. Um, no, nope. I mean, I, yeah, I got my start at a top forty radio station, as I've as I mentioned before, which was a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong. Of yeah. course, that's also back in the very early nineties. 1970. So by the time the summer of 72 is coming toward its end, I'm on the way to a technical school for an education in electronics, which was my other hobby. And uh, it eventually moved me off the air into engineering, and uh, which, is, I, which was God's plan. There's no doubt in my mind looking back now. Uh, I, what, what good was I going to do to the world? Uh, just sitting at a station like a CKLW or a WLS Chicago or or WGAR in Cleveland, what good would I do uh, to the world except just entertain? But God sure. had other plans. Well, they, I don't know if in your radio career you heard the story about the airplane that was in distress. The engines were going out, and they determined that they had to throw one person off the plane mm-hmm. in order for the plane to continue flying. But the plane eventually crashed. Because they could not decide who was worth the least to society, Mm -hmm. a used car salesman or a radio disc jockey. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh, we've heard all the jokes about disc jockeys. (laughs) I can remember those from back in my day. Like I say, it was fun. It it, it got me propelled into this career. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, To give me the background, the engineering side was probably more rewarding in my younger days than even being on air. And and to use the skill of understanding radio for a Bible college in North Georgia for you know over a decade and a half 
to to build their radio ministry. And so I did something of value after all. And it never included a 50,000 watt AM radio station late at night playing, you know, top 40 records. God, God redeemed that time for something else. So, well, uh, my radio career eventually helped me to be one of the pioneers of online uh, education. I started doing that as a university professor mm-hmm. uh, over 20 years ago. Well, there's something else we didn't even know we had in common. I've helped a few small uh, Bible schools assemble their Moodle system online for the same purpose. So uh, yeah. to help train people yeah. remotely that can't get to a campus. So, you know, there is some, you know, I always tell people, the, the Internet is both a blessing and a curse. It is a blessing mm-hmm. and some of it, it's a tool. And either we use it as a tool or it begins to use us. And so I'm careful in, in what I, I, I it's, too, it's very tempting for people to use it for all the wrong things. But sure. what, what I've learned is, for me, I use the Internet trying to, to dig for information that people are trying to hide. And right. somehow yeah. it does appear, if you know how to look hard enough, you can find it. You can vet a story right. out. You can find the source. And I try, and I, it, it takes time. It's not easy because, you know, the, the gatekeepers like Google, the gatekeepers like Yahoo and others are out there trying to protect an ideology. And so they try yeah. to do their best to bury, but they can't bury everything fast enough, which is the way I look at it. So tell me about your your transition from radio and news to the other things that you've done in your life. Okay, you mentioned, I think, the summer of 1972. Mm-hmm. That was a major watershed in my life because in July of 1972, I became a born-again Christian. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, all of this stuff about radio and all these other things that took a back seat to my relationship with Jesus. It mm-hmm. just changed everything. Mm-hmm. And my poor wife, uh, I mean, she was, we went to church, but we really weren't believers. And she was not at that time. And we had just been married like two and a half weeks. And uh-huh. I came to Christ. And yeah. She, big change. Well, yeah. Well, she says, okay, let's begin our marriage. Right. I want you to pray before we eat dinner. Okay, well, I mm-hmm. would mumble some, you know, okay, God, thank you for the food, this kind of stuff. Well, then I got saved two and a half weeks later, and all of a sudden she's married to John the Baptist. It's like I've got to do a whole sermon while I'm praying. <laughs> and she's like, yep. hey, the food's getting cold. Yep. Find the amen page. Yep, yep. So that was a radical change for me. Um, I ended up going to a Bible college in the Midwest, <clears throat> which was not a really good fit for me, that school. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but then after that, I spent 14 months reading 10 chapters of the Bible a day, which All right. in a lot of respects was the foundation of my education. And then I ended up pastoring a church in Michigan and then uh, pastored for a while in southwest Missouri. And then went back to Pueblo, Colorado, where my wife and I originally met and had right. lived. Mm-hmm. Worked in a Christian school there. Ended up operations manager and talk show host of a Christian radio station there. And then, um, oh, about the late 1980s, I discovered there was a shortage of business professors. And I thought, that looks like a really cool way to make a living. And I think that would be very interesting. And my wife had just finished nursing school, which gave her the opportunity to pay the bills 
while basically in my 40s, I retooled myself. Yeah, sounds familiar. Uh, I went through that process a couple of times in my life. Well, as you know, in media, uh, it's a crime to get old. But I found people like gray hair on their judges, on their sea captains, and on their college professors. Mm -hmm. So in my 40s, I got an MBA and then uh, came back here to the Ozarks, a place we love, and got a Ph.D. at the University of Arkansas in marketing with an emphasis in transportation. And then I taught at a school about 60 miles away from here, Northeastern State University in Oklahoma. I retired out of there uh, about five years ago now. Mm -hmm. And uh, my attitude, I don't believe in retiring just to sit around. No, neither do I. My attitude is now, okay, I, I don't have to worry about paying the bills this week. What are the contributions I can make? Exactly. And uh, I've been doing some writing. Um, and finally, I got to the point where I finally found a, a good outlet for me, and that is the Western Journal. And, and I'm doing some writing for some other people. And right now, and working with a, a couple of guys, we're kicking around some things about ways we can mentor young men. And uh, we don't know where we're going with that. It's like, you know, where the plane, the pilot comes on the intercom and says, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry we're lost, but we're making really good time. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And we're kind of there. We, we don't know where we're going, but it's coming together and it's coming together rapidly. So that's the synopsis. That's, that's how I uh, tried to figure out uh, what I was going to be when I grew up. And I still haven't figured that out. I think a lot of us are in that same boat. Now, if you're just tuning in. My guest today is Mike Landry. He's a writer at Western Journal. And someone that I discovered in recent weeks and reached out to have this discussion today because there, there are a number of topics that I'd like to get into uh, with with Mike and some of the writing that he's done. And, and to help you understand how many of us get to this place in life where we're doing some of the things as we're, quote, in retirement, unquote, it, it, it helps to, to understand how God can use all of us in his yeah. kingdom. And I really believe that there are a lot of people listening even right now that are saying, well, you know, what can I do? I don't have this talent. I don't have that. I don't have the other. I'm not wealthy. I can't give. People go on and on and all the things they can't do. But here we are in this really strange time. Uh, I'm going to call it just for this, just to be funny. I'm going to call it the post-COVID era because COVID has been you know, dismissed yeah. temporarily as we've gone into everything is Ukraine and, and, and also, you know, what is so, and gender identity. Those are the two things that have gone, you know, to the, to the top of the, uh, of the news pile in recent weeks. So now you've been doing news for a while. And, and so let's talk about your news background. And when okay. you look at the stories today, what are the things that make you realize some of the narrative has got to be really false that's been pushed? Well, first of all, my news background, it really came out of the home I grew up in. My father was a carpenter, but he was very well read and he was a storyteller. He was always commenting mm-hmm. to me on the news. We got we got two. I, I grew up in. Oh, oh, by the way, something else. Uh, my father was also a carpenter. Well, there you go. We have a lot of things. In, are you my brother? I don't know. <laughs> in Christ, you are. Um, anyway, my father, he was always commenting on the news. 
Uh, I grew up in suburban Detroit. We got two daily Detroit newspapers. Mm -hmm. We got a daily suburban newspaper. And then our small town, we had a weekly newspaper. And I read all of them as a kid. Mm-hmm. Same here. I, it was, we just, I just read that. And so I was saturated in news. But, of course, I was going to be this entertainment star. But one of the things that occurred, I was working in college radio at Eastern Michigan University mm-hmm. and somehow got ended up as the news director of the campus radio station. And I found I was pretty good at this and I liked it. And then I went to the Graduate School of Journalism. I was in over my head as a reporter at a daily newspaper in Pueblo, Colorado. And I had an old time editor who had started out in the 1920s delivering the paper, Yep, ended up as a city editor and beat good writing into my head. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I was in fourth grade. I said it was a big city room like you see in the movies, you know, the, the, the Washington Post or whatever. I'm in the back of the room and I would hear this old 66 year old editor yell out my name. Mike, and that meant I had to walk to the front of the class yeah. and get chewed out by the teacher. And he'd mutter and swear and grumble and say, "What? What? What are we trying to say here? Take this back and make sense of it." And I hated that, but that guy taught me how to write. You know, I, I, so I think that experience for many of us, you know, in this business, and and you know, I never wrote for a newspaper at all, as much as I'd thought about it at one time. I had one thing that saved me from being a newspaper writer. Um, as my ninth grade English teacher said, you're a great writer, but your spelling is atrocious. You're too logical in yeah. your mind for the English language. And so with spell check now, I can do it. Uh, it, yeah. it is still one of those things that was an issue for me for many, many years. I, I did things phonetically, but I could write. Mm-hmm. And working yeah. in radio, that was a good thing. Nobody read my copy. They just listened to my voice. And right. so, so right. when I, I made a transition from top 40 announcer into news before I made the final transition, well, I went back to announcing and management. Then I decided, you know, engineering was more stable. These guys never get fired. Um, you watch yeah. program directors and disc jockeys come and go. But engineers are the guys that always have the keys to everything, including That's when right. management gets fired. The engineer never gets fired. So, <laughs> yeah. so I mean, I, I was at a radio station that blew out the entire staff, except for me. Everybody was yeah. gone. So, you know, it's it's one of the, but I didn't, I realized then it's just still an unstable business, even even as an engineer. So I moved away from that into the manufacturing side and then to a Bible college. And I could take all these things that I had learned for God's kingdom and God's glory. So looking at your writing uh, in a newspaper, uh, I'm sure that you came through about the time a little before I did when journalism graduates still had a thing called integrity. I just don't remember being told anywhere that I'd ever worked at to slant a news story politically toward a candidate. Mm -hmm. I just don't remember it. Um, If anything, I would be criticized if a story even sounded like I was leaning politically toward an ideology, whether I was or wasn't, didn't make any difference. And even if it was an ideology, ownership agreed with. They didn't want to cross that line of of being pegged as the radio station that was this, that, or the other. They wanted to be fair and balanced, which, you know, Fox has been, claims to do. I don't think they really do anymore, but they did. 
I mean, but this is the way I was raised in news, to be yep, fair, honest. In other words, it, you can't. No one's going to have to come back and say you lied in a story, because once you've lied once, your 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 integrity's gone. But here we are, what a half century later, and it's a, well, it's, it's, a it, 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 it's no longer journalism; it's propaganda, Goebel style. Yeah, um, I I wrote an article for American Thinker. I think it was last year where I talked about these two professions that I have been in, uh, in depth, journalism and being a college professor. And I told about when I was 12 years old, and I told my grandmother I wanted to be a disc jockey. And she said, you don't want to be a disc jockey because she <laughs> thought her boy could do a lot better. Yeah. And, and I Anybody could do a lot I better. Said, <laughs> I said, now if I told my grandmother if she was alive, I, I, if I said I wanted to be a college professor or I wanted to be a journalist, she yeah. would say, have you considered being a disc jockey? Yeah, really. Because I mean, those, exactly. Those professions have been disgraced. They have. You're right. I mean, look, when I went to college, well, when I graduated high school, I, I've, I've shared this story before. I had an English teacher in my senior year of high school, a young guy, you know, probably freshly minted, you know, teacher mm-hmm. uh, in his 20s. But he was an absolutely phenomenal teacher and one of those people that left an impression on my life 50 years later, you know, 50 yeah. years later. His attitude about English for a senior, you know, we're, we're not doing composition and that kind of stuff anymore. It, it's understanding what you read and comprehending what you read and what they're trying to tell you. And also, he was beginning to teach us how, especially in advertising media, the subtle messages that may not be true that are being pushed as truth. And how do you discern it? And I thought that was a fascinating class to to have Mm -hmm. gone through back in that time. It was an eye-opener. Everything from lyrics in music to advertising copy to things being said. and And he was starting to point out how the editorials were beginning to move uh, from the back of the newspaper to toward the front and being you know pawned off as news, and I just didn't see it at that time. Uh, yeah. But I but I certainly over the years, within ten years, started to notice it because he yeah. he gave me that discriminating view of the news, and and it became very apparent to me the extreme bias of the media. When Ronald Reagan ran for president in in 1980, yeah. that that's when the all the gloves came off, and all of a sudden, the ideology began to peek through the surface like a a budding flower in spring, and now these weeds of journalism have grown to choke out truth. And this is it scares me when I look at it to think that people actually believe what they hear on CNN or can believe yeah. what they read in the New York Times. How many stories have they had to, a year later, um, pretend they forgot that they wrote the first story to acknowledge that they were wrong, you know, without ever admitting they were wrong? How many? Yeah, yeah, it's, well, this has been going on for quite some time. And it is also, we're talking about things that occurred 40 years ago in journalism. Mm -hmm. Um, They... There were people there that had very strong biases, but they could not get away with the things that are happening today. Oh, I don't absolutely. know if you've ever read Walter Cronkite's uh, autobiography, A Reporter's Life, I think it's called. I, I have mean, seen it. Guy, I've read part of it, not all of it. I'll admit that I've read part of it. But yeah, you're right. He was a very partisan individual that kept it hit. He was. 
oh, yeah, you read his book, and I mean, he's way out there in the left wing, but he had to really reel that in uh, to the point that everybody, everybody believed him because he was able at least to act like he was presenting mm-hmm. the news exactly. in an objective way. Absolutely. And, and, how, and how the industry in which you and I were raised uh, has changed, and it's not changed for the good. If someone had told me, and I can remember in my younger years in my Christian walk, you know, the, the things that I was trying to discover and explore post high school and throughout my college and, you know, those years trying to explore basically my faith and from different perspectives at the time, especially when people would talk about biblical prophecy and they would talk about, you know, the day would come when we're not going to have cash. The day is going to come. The day is going to yeah. come. You hear it all. And, and, you know, back then it was like, really? That's that boy. That's going to be so far in the future. It'll be like the Jetsons flying around in their car. It's not going to happen in my lifetime. And yet here we are at, yep. at a, at a precipice that when I was, you know, 18 years of age, I, I never could envision, but starting in my forties, when God really got a hold of me for the second career change to head to ministry, uh, that's when my eyes were open as all this is beginning to unravel in its earliest stages. And here we are today at a place that I don't think I could ever believe our nation would ever be. I, I couldn't have believed this in, in 2000 or 1990. Well, I, just, I just didn't... Back. Look back five years, Bob. Mm-hmm. Look how far we have fallen in just five years. In two years since this pandemic came about. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine uh, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, if people said or made the dictates that they have in this pandemic, mm-hmm. do you think we would have tolerated that? Never. Never. Not 10 years ago, not 20 years ago. Absolutely not. If somebody had said in 1975, there would have been people with pitchforks out there in front of the White House ready to take out anybody that would even spout such nonsense. And they would be bipartisan out there demanding to get rid of these people. Do you think Tip O'Neill would have ever tolerated this back in the 1970s as Speaker of the House? No way. And now the Speaker of the House is one of those that is pushing this, we are the elite and you are the plebes. Get on with the program. I call it neo-feudalism. And define neo-feudalism real quick. Neo-feudalism, okay, if you go back to the initial days of feudalism in Europe, the serfs were tied to the land. They were protected by the Lord but they were subject to the Lord, and there were, was the royalty that lived very well, living on the backs of the serfs, and I call it neo-feudalism because now we have the elite laptop class, the people that were able to work very well all through the pandemic, and then we have the serving class, the people that are told to wear masks while they're serving the elites who do not wear their masks. There's some real symbolism there. Yes. And basically we have the elites getting rich at the expense of the working people as their jobs are being outsourced, as 
immigrants are being brought in to take those jobs. Uh, it, it's, I mean, it's, it's going on right before our eyes. That is why there was so much vitriol against Donald Trump, I think, because he pointed it out. And he said, hey, I'm for the working people. And what he did is bring the elites into greater relief. We could see them. We could see what we knew was there. It became very, very obvious. It's like when I first started my uh, doctoral program at the University of Arkansas, and this is 25 years ago, I knew that there was all this radical, uh, these radical things going on on the campus, but I couldn't prove it. Well, I remember I went to an orientation to become a graduate assistant to teach classes at the university while I was in my doctoral program. And I remember them telling us how we were in effect to be change agents as these students came in, a lot of them from small towns, we were to change their minds so that they would go back into their communities and change the way people believed. It wasn't about knowledge or mathematics or English literature. They didn't use the word politics or social engineering, but that was the bottom line to it. And I was, I was shocked that they were so blatant about mm -hmm. it. I actually wrote it down. I've got that quote somewhere in my files because they came right out and said it. And this is what we have seen <clears throat> when Donald Trump came along and began to stand up for the middle class and the working people. The attacks against him, as he put it, they are not attacking me. They are attacking you. My guest today is Mike Landry. And as I've mentioned, Mike uh, writes for Western Journal, one of those publications that I've been reading for at least a decade. I would recommend it to you as well. It's an excellent news source. And, and Mike Landry, in the time that he's been there, has been writing some, some wonderful commentary. And we'll get back to our, our time together with Mike on the program in, in just a couple of minutes. While we come to this break, I wanted to take the time to thank all of you that let me know how you listen. It's more important than ever that I know how you listen to the program. I know a number of you listen to Truth to Ponder as a podcast, and that's wonderful if you do. And let me know. You can just email me directly at, at bob at truth, the number two, ponder.com, bob at truth, the number two, ponder.com. It just lets me know where you are because I have no way to really know, especially on shortwave radio. Are you listening on shortwave? Are you listening on domestic radio? Heard from somebody just this week listening in Delta, Utah to the radio station that we're on there. If you believe in this ministry and if you could help us at all financially as we continue to pay for radio airtime, shortwave radio airtime, we're on a number of times and that number is increasing. And it also means the expenses are increasing. So if you can help us, would you consider making a check payable to Ancient Word Radio? That's Ancient Word Radio. And mail it to Truth to Ponder. The address is 5753 Highway 85 North, number 3248. That's 5753 Highway 85 North, number 3248. That 3248 is our secure box. We are in Crestview, one word, Crestview, Florida. 
and the zip code is 32536. That zip code again is 32536. Now, we'll be back with Mike Landry right after this break. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. The Priest's Access, coming up. Shalom Aleichem. This is the nice Jewish boy, Jonathan Kahn, your Jewish connection, bringing you the riches of your Jewish roots in Jesus. Now get your pen out as fast as you can so you don't miss out on receiving a special free gift you're going to get and love in a moment. Now in the Old Covenant, those who ministered to God were called the Kohanim, the priests. They were those in charge of God's service. And they were also given access to the holy place, the place behind the veil, the inner sanctum. Now, this is a real profound thing. See, it's no accident that the ministers of God were given access to his presence. See, the priest had to dwell in the secret place because it's an important principle. Those who minister to God have to dwell in the presence of God. The more you serve him, the more you do in the kingdom, the more that God uses you, the more you have to be dwelling in his presence. The more you need to be dwelling and filled up, empowered, you have to be. Because the only good thing you can do for God is the good thing you receive from God first. You can only minister for the Lord as much as you receive from the Lord. But the good news is that those who do the will of God are given special access to the presence of God. Take advantage of that, you who are a servant of God. Because the Lord has opened for you the doors of his sanctuary to meet you in the secret place. If you're committed in doing his will, he will open the doors to show you his glory, to fill you with his power so you can do his work. Because you are the spiritual Kohanim, the priest of the new covenant. So serve the Lord with all your heart. But every day, draw near into the holy place where the glory, the power, and the presence of God are waiting just for you, his priest waiting for you. Enter in behind the veil in the secret place, for that is your privilege and your access. Want more? Ask for Sailing Away. Now, the free gift for you, hidden for 2,000 years, the awesome mystery of the temple doors. You'll love it. And sapphires, your daily spiritual vitamin supply for victorious life in God. So how do you get these gifts free? Easy. Just remember Jesus' real Hebrew name, Yeshua, and you dial it. That's it. Just call 1-800-YESHUA-1. You will be blessed, but call now. That's 1-800-YESHUA-1. I invite you to minister with me in bringing the good news back to the people who gave it to you, to Israel and to the unreached peoples of every tribe and tongue. It's amazing. Imagine you could send a billion tracks through the air to blanket this planet. Well, you can, in effect, through shortwave radio. It's amazing. You can cover the earth with salvation. It's incredible. How? Just call 1-800-YESHUA-1, Y-E-S-H-U-A-1. Or you can write me direct. Here's how. Just write to the nice Jewish boy box, 1111, Lodi, L-O-D-I, New Jersey, 07644. That's the nice Jewish boy box, 1111, Lodi, L-O-D-I, New Jersey, 07644. Well, till next time, this is Jonathan Kahn saying, enter in, my friend. Shalom Nechem, peace be to you, in Messiah, a Kohen Gadol, the High Priest. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. And welcome back to our weekend edition of Truth to Ponder. And I'm your host, Bob Bierman. It is hard to believe that today, first day of April, a new month, we are now entering our 20th month of broadcasting. 20 months of doing Truth to Ponder. And we've been doing a new program each weekday, And, of course, the Friday and weekend edition, uh, people listen. I know there are some stations that only carry it uh, as a weekend program. But I'm thankful for every opportunity that we have to share 
to share this important message. Little update on things that are going on in the background. You know, God is just speaking to me about preparing his people for the days and times that are coming. And I know some of you that listen say, hey, I'm not going to worry about it. It's all going to be just fine. But even Jesus warned his disciples to look at the times and the seasons and be prepared. And don't believe everything you hear. I mean, he he shared with his disciples, if someone says, here's the Christ, there's the Christ, do this, be very careful about the date setters. I was reading something online the other day that I ran across, and I'm not going to say who this person is, but it's somebody that I'm a little bit familiar with from a ministry I worked for a number of years ago. This particular person had been a guest on that program. And, and I decided to look up, gee, what's happened in the last six, seven years since, since that person was on the program and made some, shall we say, false predictions? Well, there have been several other fake and false predictions as well in 2016 and 2020. In other words, be careful of the false prophets. They're out there in abundance. The word of God is simple. No man knows the day or the hour but we know the seasons of his return. Stop wasting your time with date setters. Now, my guest today is Michael Landry, and he writes for Western Journal. I've recently run across some of his material, and I think it's excellent. You need to be checking it out. But Mike, you and I were talking the other day that we have a shared experience in in our efforts regarding this COVID-19 pandemic. What opened your eyes like mine were opened? Well, I followed the pandemic very carefully because I was trying to figure out what was going on. And when they said we need two weeks to flatten the curve, we all believed them because we had no idea what we were getting into. Mm -hmm. We had heard the horrible stories of what occurred 100 years ago in uh, the, the flu pandemic. And so we listened to the public health officials. Oh, I admit that I did, too. Listen, I had worked in emergency management years before, and I came out of retirement. And I'm thinking we're we're facing something unprecedented. And, and of course, I want to help people get through this. And and to our job is to mitigate. Our our job is to respond. And how do we respond and then keep the damage from getting worse? And but I start. When did you when did you begin to have the scales fall off your eyes of all the media hype? At what point did you begin to see it doesn't add up? I think it was about April of 2020. Mm -hmm. And I found a statistic right there on the CDC website that said the people dying of the pandemic Mm -hmm. have an average of 2.7 comorbidities. Exactly. And I thought, what? These are unhealthy people that are dying for, and and they tended to be older. Over 70. And I thought, yeah. Well, here was one of the things that surprised me. When I figured out the, there were two things that were the revelation for me, and I'm working in emergency management. And it started probably, like you say, end of March, early April is where it began. I was putting together a news release and uh, to go out to the public in the in this city that I served in county, and I just needed a little bit of background on. I just wanted some background on SARS-CoV. You know, mm-hmm. SARS-CoV two, as everybody called it. And I just happened to type into my computer, sitting there in my office out of a mo out of a hotel room, 
and I type in S-A-R and then a space C-O-V. S-A-R-S-C-O-V. And instead of getting a story about SARS-CoV-2, somehow it got me to the website of the CDC. And it Mm -hmm. got me to a PDF file from the year 2005. (laughs) And and I immediately downloaded it and saved it, and I'm reading this thing, and it's, Mm -hmm. okay, a respiratory virus from China, and it's, you know, it's it's very fatal, and it's... we never, when did we, where, where did this, 2003 and 2004, right, and, right. And, and that got me thinking, wait a minute, why is nobody else talking about this current virus having a relationship to a almost identical virus, which by the way, something else that came out in, when I read the article, it, it talked about effective treatments for this SARS-CoV was hydroxychloroquine. That was the findings of the CDC after a two-year afterwash of this first, where thousands Mm -hmm. of people had quietly died of this virus from China, when they, by the way, they tended to be older people. Everything we just saw. But an effective treatment was hydroxychloroquine. And all of a sudden, the same experts from the same places are saying you can't use that stuff. And that got me thinking... There's something that's not right about this. I'm looking at the people that allegedly died in my county. And we were supposed to, we were told in February and early March to expect 3,000 people to die strictly of COVID by the time we got to the month of July of 2020. So I spent all this money planning for mortuaries and hospital rooms and isolation places for this county. And 3,000 people did not die, not even 300, barely over 30 uh, were claimed to have died in that county. So we are like at 1% of the number of people they claim would die. And of that 1%, most of them, the vast majority, were elderly, COPD, name your comorbidity. It was, you just didn't find somebody 43 that keeled over from COVID. So, so tell me about your experience. Well, I when I saw that figure, it was actually 2.6 uh, uh, comorbidities. When I saw that figure, I thought, these are unhealthy people. Well, I began reading a lot of medical journals, mm-hmm. and I came to a lot of conclusions. And uh, I went, I had a regular routine appointment with my doctor, and I presented all these conclusions. In fact, I'm looking at an article I wrote December 3rd, 2020 for American Thinker mm-hmm. entitled, My Doc and I Agree About the Coronavirus. Here I am, a medical layman. I start presenting all these things to my yep, doctor. Yep. And my, and my doctor is saying, I'm, he says, I watch TV and I see doctors lying. He's yep. the professional. And he and I were in agreement. And then he's telling me about he's got patients because of the lockdowns. They're gaining 25 pounds. Yes, they are. The suicide rate was going up in the county. I think it had tripled. And he said all these children running around in masks. And he's going on and on. And, you know, the the theme of my article was people say to me, where's your medical degree? Well, here's the guy with the medical degree who's found the same things, or he knows the same things I do. Exactly. That I've had to find on my own. Exactly. <clears throat> you know, you, so, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, look, the, the, the truth has been out there the whole time. 
And but yep. but we've noticed that for whatever reason to sustain an ideology and, and in starting in starting in 2020, obviously uh, every well there were a lot of places that were ripe for fraud in an election. There's no doubt in my mind when I look at Georgia, when I look at Michigan, when I look at Pennsylvania, when I look at Wisconsin, that there was no doubt there was significant cheating. You can't tell me otherwise. When you yeah. have when you have somebody, when you have 200 people making 3,000 trips to ballot boxes and each time they got a wad of ballots in their hand, you're, you're going to tell me that they're all legitimate ballots at 3.30 in the morning at a at a ballot box. I, I don't buy it. It, it was right for the either. fraud. And even, and even if Joe Biden won the Electoral College, even mm-hmm. if he did, there were so many, and I don't believe he did, but even if he did, there were hmm. so many incongruities, inconsistencies, so many underhanded things going on that even if he won the Electoral College, the credibility of the voting process yep. has been undermined just like we've been talking about the news media. Listen, I mean, it, it, to me, it, to me, I, I, I saw this... This strange temp, you know, this this strange temporary marriage, you know, as they say in the Islamic countries, uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and uh, so th- this is what what happened. Rhino Republicans and Democrats decided to call a truce, and they worked diligently to get rid of Trump, who was exposing their own corruption, their own system, their own lies, their own lack of integrity across the board. He was exposing it on both sides. And yeah. they did, and the swamp creatures like the Mitt Romneys hate being exposed for the frauds and failures, morally, spiritually, and ethically, they actually are. And, yeah. and they, they yeah. just don't like it. So they must get rid of Mr. Trump at all costs. I think it happened in Georgia that way with the governor of the state and also Raffsenberger, the secretary of state. They looked the other way. They cut deals with people they had no legal authority to cut deals with. And then they scream and get mad and stomp their feet when you dare challenge them. Mm-hmm. And this happened everywhere. Uh, there's going to yeah. be some. I, I know Dinesh D'Souza's got a uh, a documentary he's putting out soon that exposes the mules and how the election was stolen. Of course, yeah. will anything be done about it with our current Justice Department? Of course not. No, nothing's no. going to happen. Only, you know, Joe Biden is legally the president of the United States for only one reason, and that was Congress certified that election exactly what a lot of people what a lot of people don't know and i i kind of would go around and talk to political activists to see do you know how many people voted against that certification in congress and i only had one woman who's a political activist come close and she said 140 it was actually 147 20 20 25 percent of the congress voted against certifying that election. That's right. That is significant, but that has been totally covered up. And the only way I found that was the New York Times ran a list of all the names. They were trying to basically dox these people. Of course. And I thought, okay, this is convenient. I now know how many people voted against it. 
you know, and a lot of people don't understand. And and even worse is high school graduates that I'll meet today that have no clue of how the electoral college system works. They can. I had a college student, a person going to college. I said, you know, two plus two equals four. And he said, well, not to everybody. You know, yeah, right, I'm going, right. what do you mean not to everybody? Well, two plus two equals four. That's your reality. That's your opinion. But somebody else's reality and opinion may be different. And we must respect that. I'm thinking, really? Have we really come down to this in the world in which we live today? That that we now, mathematics is fluid like gender? This is where we're yeah. heading. And to me, yeah. this is nothing but satanic confusion. Total satanic confusion. People can no longer make any reasonable assumptions about anything because everything is up for grabs. I mean, look, during the pandemic, we now have, since the pandemic, we have been made, the, the woman of the year is a man. The fastest woman swimmer is a man. And we are told we must accept it. And if we're not, we're hateful people and we must be silenced. This is where we're coming. Well, here, here's the thing. We, we cannot be silent. Um, there are a lot of people. Uh, okay. A, a big hero of mine intellectually is Victor Davis Hanson, who is uh, a classical scholar, but he's also been a farmer. That's right. So this is a very the guy, good guy. Who, who has his mind in the clouds, but his feet on the ground. And that's why I think a lot of solid stuff comes from him. And Victor Davis Hanson has said, those of us who can speak out, you and I, and people like him, who were not subject to a, a, a weekly paycheck, things like that, those of us who can speak out, we must speak out while we can. Because there are a lot of people who believe this who can't. I don't know if you, today I was looking in the news uh, there are, uh, there's a group of employees at Disney who have signed an, or put out an anonymous letter who said, this gender is crazy stuff you guys are doing. We love our company. You're going to destroy our company. With but this. see, look, the satanic but, mind can't see that. It, it, it really right. believes they're doing, quote, God's service. What did the Bible right. say about Christians? They'll kill you thinking they're doing God's service. They're deceived. Well, one of the great illustrations, if you read in Genesis, uh, the story of Sodom and the angels who came to Sodom and the men of Sodom wanted to sexually know them and God blinded those men. They physically could not see. And it says they were still grasping for these angels mm -hmm. in spite of the fact they were blinded. In their blindness, they were still being driven toward evil. Mm -hmm. And so logic doesn't make any sense anymore. But we still have to stand for truth, for logic, and for the uh, absolute truth encapsulated in the Word of God. We've got to do that. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. And Amen. Dr. Hansen says, those of you who can speak out, speak out. But there are other people who do need to speak out. Uh, a friend of mine who just passed away of COVID years ago, he was a quality control uh, individual at uh, McDonnell Douglas Rocket Plant. And uh, he, was, he was getting more serious about serving Christ at that time. He also, coincidentally, applied for a promotion. 
Mm-hmm. The boss called him into his office and said, you're qualified. You should get this job. But I don't like this religious stuff going on. Mm-hmm. So I'm not giving you the promotion. And if you ever talk about this outside of this room, I'm going to deny it. And my friend came away happy. He said, finally, I'm really getting serious about living for Christ, and it's costing me something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we have that example all, all through the Bible. Uh, we have to take these stands. Look, in these last few minutes that we've got here, I want to just kind of, you're touching on a topic near and dear to my heart. We have had what I call commitless, commitment-less Christianity in this country for a long time. Uh, yeah. we, we put our, our faith or our religion, whatever you want to call it, in a box. And sometimes we let it out. Sometimes we leave it in the box for months or even years. Uh, we, we believe we own our faith. The faith does not own us. We've never submitted or yielded ourselves under God's authority. We're demanding God's Holy Spirit yield unto us. And, and this is reverse Christianity. We don't sacrifice anything. We give from our abundance. We never give where it hurts. We never, yeah. we never are willing to sacrifice what is important to us for the cause of Christ. We demand Christ's sacrifice, which he already has done, and continue to sacrifice on our behalf. And, and this, and if you don't, if I don't like what you said today at church, I'm not coming back, or I'm going to give less. We, we, we have built a narcissistic faith, and now much of it is entertainment based. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of people figure that out during the pandemic when they started watching their service online. It was all choreographed, yeah. and they didn't realize yeah. it. Where is worshiping God in spirit and in truth? And and what in these last uh, minute or so? You got about a minute here. What what can the church do? What can we as Christians do to restore what we should have never lost to begin with? We need to read the word and uh, either find the principles of life in the word, or if we already know them, stop making excuses and get back to them. And personally, I'm doing a lot of self-examination and saying, uh, okay, the things that I believe, are these really in the forefront in my life right now? Mm-hmm. Because, um, you know, a lot of the other things that we think are important are being stripped away. Yep. But the thing is, you know, Jesus, I mean, what, what did one of the disciples, Jesus said, are you going to go away? And one of the disciples said, well, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. And so we have to focus on him and count on him to make the provision for us. And one of the things I really pray about is having the wisdom to say the things and to think the things and to write the things and speak the things that give glory to God in a post-2019 world where so many things have changed. My guest today on Truth to Ponder has been Mike Landry. I want to thank you, Mike, for being on the program today. I'm definitely going to have you back on very soon. We have, I think, a lot of things to share. One of the things that has been on my mind as we come toward the end of this program today. By the way, Mike is a retired university professor, a freelance writer, a commentary contributor to Western Journal. He's written for American Thinker, Canada Free Press, and you know, many others. 
He's been involved with radio, television, and even a newspaper reporter and, and a church pastor. So he's, as my wife says, one of those Renaissance men. We do a, a lot of things as God opens doors and calls us. And, and he lives he lives with his wife not far from Fayetteville, Arkansas. So I want to thank Mike for being on the program today. Go to Western Journal. Look up some of the articles that he has written. Uh, subscribe like I do. It's free. And there's a lot to be learned from Western Journal. As we come to the end of our time today, and the end of this week for many, some of you only hear the program on the weekend, some of you hear it uh, five days per week. And I want to thank all of you that listen. Would you take just a couple of minutes this weekend and send me an email? As I'm promising, I'm not trying to put together some email list so I can bug you all the time for contributions and and fill up your inbox. I'm not going to do that. But it is important for me, more than you'll ever know, to make sure that what funds we have to pay for airtime is being invested in the right places and the right frequencies. And and I, I sometimes wonder, look, I, I recognize that some of, some of you out there do not have internet access, and, and that's fine. And maybe you can just drop me a postcard. I mean, I'm not demanding or I'm not love for you to support us financially, but it's not a requirement. But it is important to know that what funds the Lord has provided for us are being efficiently used for His glory and to get the word out that needs to be gotten out. There's so many opportunities that God has in front of me, and I'm I'm trying to discern. And it's not easy at times which things I should do, which things I should not do, how to partner with people to make this entire program and other outlets that we're trying to develop really worth the effort. I'm just one person doing one radio show, but I believe God is raising up a number of people to do their own programs and to help you in your life. And I want to make sure that Everything I build is there for the glory of God's name and for his kingdom. And being an efficient, uh, shall we say, just being a good steward of what we have is important. Would you let me know? My personal email address, whether it's radio, online, is bob at truth2ponder.com. Bob at truth2ponder.com. Now, if you can help us financially, paying for the airtime, it is very much appreciated. If you can, make a check payable to Ancient Word Radio. That's Ancient Word Radio. Mailing address is Truth to Ponder, 5753. That's 5753 Highway 85 North. 5753 Highway 85 North, number 3248. That's number 3248. And we are in Crestview. Crestview, Florida. And the zip code is 32536. That zip code again is 32536. Until next week, may God richly bless you. This has been Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. To find out more, visit our website, truth, the number two, and the word ponder.com. That's truth, the number two, ponder.com. Truth to ponder, shining the light of truth in a darkening world.